Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the world famous Jiggy Jaguar radio program. Raw and uncut, Jiggy Jag. You know how you do it. You know what I'm saying? Broadcasting live from Hutchinson, Kansas. Well, I'm sitting here with a linguist. I had a linguist. no idea. <laughs> I, love I didn't that. know you were, but I didn't know that you were a wordsmith. <laughs> Call Jiggy right now. 267 22 Jiggy. Hey, Jiggy, what's happening, man? You must be that uh, David Bowie song. Jiggy play guitar. Jeff. It's a great name, and thanks so much for having me on the show. Presenting. I'm, I'm Mike Massey, and uh, you know, you can catch me on Jiggy Jag TV and uh, see a few of my tricks up there. Thank you very much. Jiggy Jaguar. I never knew what freedom was until I saw you lose yours. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. It is the world famous Jiggy Jaguar radio broadcast. What does that even mean? Coast to coast, border to border on iHeartRadio today. On-demand archived audio available at Hutch. <laughs> I think at this point I'm just doing it to twerk the radio industry. Whenever I have various folks from the radio industry who monitor us, they have to monitor us. I have to be monitored. I don't know why they monitor us, but they do. Uh, it's so strange. Get a hold of us online over there at JiggyJaguar.com. They, they've got a they've got a check for ideas that I have, great ideas that can steal them, and then give me no credit and tell me I have no experience in the business. J i g g y j u a r dot com. That is the best spot to see what we are up to. We are over there on Jigman Freud. I did an interview the other day and introduced myself as Jigman Freud, the guy who I was interviewing the uh, the red dirt. Country guy, Dallas Moore, he got quite the tickle out of the name Jigman Freud. I thought about referring to myself as Jigman Fraud, which is an old Tim Dixon line, which is kind of funny because of the Dixon line. But uh, see, I did that on purpose. Didn't even realize what the hell I was doing. Get a hold of us online over there at J-I-G-G-Y-J-G-U-A-R.com. I did a great interview that we are going to put up on our... Uh, various video sites and various places with Michael Payton. I just did a, a interesting interview with him about his his book on Trump. Uh, he he refers to he refers to the liberal media when they call Trump a uh, I don't know what the hell's going on. Don't know what's happening. Chad. Am I supposed to be talking to somebody named Chad today? I don't know. Who knows what the hell's going on there? Get a hold of us online over there at J-I-G-G-Y-G-U-A-R.com. Lots of things happening. I get emails from random people. And then I have to turn around and delete them. Because I don't know who these people are. 
It's all very interesting. Ron's Reads! I always get these things from Ron Estes, the guy who... Uh, the guy who is... Um, is he running for office? What, what, what is he currently doing? Is he in office? I think he's running for office. Um... Let's see. I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> I don't know what is happening here. Uh, I'm wearing a pink shirt today. That's what I wore when I left the gym. So apparently it is a pink shirt day on the big show. If you're watching us on a uh, bit shooter cloud hub or any of those freaking places. Okay, so earlier today I was browsing through the good old um the good old uh internet. Oh, I just want to read the article. I don't give two craps about their ad block. Looks like you're using an ad blocker. Okay, good. Good. Back to Maine, I don't care. So I've got a what in the world? I got to go in here in order to read this freaking article. Okay. So, I don't know. It doesn't matter. I'll do the article later. We've got an incoming guest. We will just go to our guest. They join us live here on the telephone. Welcome to the big broadcast. How are you, my friend? Good, good. Uh, Chad Stewart here. How are you? Pretty good, actually. So, Chad, talk to us a little bit about your background, and then we will uh, get into the topic here. Okay, great. Yeah, I'm uh, originally from Newport Beach, California. I was back east for about 16 years, uh, did my undergraduate in British literature, European history, grad school, and then was actually um, an investment banker, and it was about 12 years ago when I had the idea for the Britfield and Lost Crown series, and sat down spent four years and 2,500 hours and produced the first book, Britfield Lost Crown. It's a 384-page uh, adventure story uh, that takes place in England, current time. And then we launched officially August 2019. Since then, it's become a national bestseller. It's one of That's the most awesome. awarded books in children's fiction. And it's actually in the top 1% of all books ever published. And we actually believe that we'll outsell Harry Potter within the next 10 years. That's awesome. That is fantastic. <laughs> we have got a great guest with us today. He joins us live here on our big broadcast. Chad Stewart is with us today. He's the author of the Britfield book series, and he joins us today on the telephone talking a little bit about this incredible, incredible book series. So take me through the idea of why you decided to write these series of books. Yeah, that's great. It's actually yeah, it's a seven-book series. Uh, travels the world, which is exciting. It, it starts in England, uh, current time. I think what's great about these books, and uh, specifically um, different from pretty much everything that's out there, is that it takes place in, in current time. There is no magic. Uh, there is no demigods, witchcraft, superheroes. And so it's as authentic as can be, yet it's a fast-paced adventure series that basically everyone that's read it loves it. Our youngest reader is seven. And our oldest readers, 93, and 55% That's of our reading awesome. audience are adults. And so we've had huge impact across the nation and uh, even globally, uh, as far as Australia, 
New Zealand, uh, India, and uh, Japan, Italy, England, uh, Germany, France. So it's exciting. And um, yeah, I just I was dying to do something creative. I was really kind of in that in that rut, and I think we all are, right? I mean, we we, we kind of get stuck in a rut, or we get stuck in a certain job that we don't really want to be doing. It's not our gift. It's not our talent. It's not what brings us joy. And uh, so I I sat down, like I said, spent four four years and twenty five hundred hours and ten years until I finally launched it. Ten years of hard work, dedication, commitment, trials and errors, frustration, disappointment, <laughs> rejection. And um, and finally, August 2019, it was launched. And so we, we launched book two, Bitfield on the Rise of the Lion, 2021. And then last year, we launched book three, Bitfield and Return to Prince, which takes place in Italy. Um, and we launched that in September. So I'm now working on book four, seven book series. It's going to be followed by seven major motion pictures. And uh, we're in, almost into pre-production for the first Bitfield and Lost Crown movie. That's awesome. We have got a great guest with us today. He joins us live here on our big broadcast. Chad Stewart is with us today. He's the author of the Britfield book series, and he joins us today here on our big, big broadcast. You can get more information, Britfield.com. That's B-R-I-T-F-I-E-L-D.com, Britfield.com. So these books, incredibly well written. Take me through your writing process to bring these books to life, my man. Yeah, I love that. Great question. <clears throat> yeah, they take a great deal of time, and uh, it's interesting mathematically if you want to get into it. It takes about four to five hours per page uh, for a professionally published book of time. And so if you're writing a 100-page book, it's, you know, you're looking at uh, 500 hours. If you're writing 200 pages, you're looking at about 1,000 hours. And uh, it, it, even if you're getting better as a writer, you, know, you become more uh, meticulous. And so um, usually what I do for each book, and again, it's more of a refined process now, but I spent, just for book four, because I'm writing book four right now, Britfield and the Eastern Empire, I spent uh, four months just outlining the book. And, and, and that outline are sort of bullet points. So it's every single scene. I'm following sort of a, almost like a movie structure. You know, your, your plot point one, plot point two, midpoint. And, um, and so for book four, which will come in around 450 pages, I have... Um, I have 85 scenes, and so it took me four months just to just to outline those scenes. But it was so key that you know instead of sitting down and sort of writing with an idea, I I I've, I've already worked out the whole story. You know, I, I I have all the characters, I have all the subplots that are all in the right order, and then I just follow that outline. And so I sit down and I start writing. And so I'm about 65 percent done right now uh, with book four. And, uh, I'm, and uh, I've got about 30 more scenes, so I'm excited. So I try to write a scene a day, and then what I'll do is once I'm done, I'll edit everything, and then, and then the editing process is really about 80% of the time. So the hardest part is writing it, um, but the longest part is the editing, because you'll keep going through your draft. You'll start at the very beginning. It's like combing matted hair. You know, you start at the very <laughs> beginning, you come all That's the way awesome. through it, you take a break, you know, come back, come all the way through it. And every single time you're coming through it, you're just trying to make it tighter and cleaner and faster. Um, you try to use as much vocabulary as you can. You know, you're not trying to be repetitive. And, um, and so, yeah, that's part of the process. That's awesome. We have got a great guest with us today. Chad Stewart joins us here in our big broadcast. Amazing, amazing author of the Britfield book series. And he joins us today here on our big program. So when did you decide that uh, you were going to do this as a book series, or was it always going to be a book series? No, it wasn't. Again, another great question. Uh, when I was writing book one, 
I just had the idea. I was actually, I was, I was an investment banker at the time, and I was sent down to this boring seminar in Providence, Rhode Island. I was back east in Wellesley, Massachusetts for 16 years. And so I, uh, I started to drift because it was so boring, and I started to doodle. And I doodled a circle with three lines, a basket, a boy, and a girl. And I wrote The Boy and the Balloon, and that's when that idea sort of sparked in my mind. And I thought, gosh, that'd be a, lot of, that'd be a fun story to write. I'm a British literature major. I lived in England off and on for about two years. And I thought, what a great place to, to start it. I started up in Yorkshire, northern England, and then the story goes to Oxford, Windsor, London, and finally to Canterbury. But at the time, I was only thinking just one book. But by the time I got, got to the end of it, you know, 384 pages, I thought, gosh, I, I really have a series here. And I thought, why not travel the world? And so book two is in France, book three is in Italy, book four is in Eastern Europe and Russia, book five will be in Asia, book six will be in South America, and then book seven we bring back to the United States. That's awesome. It is a fantastic guest. He joins us today here on our big program the author of the Britfield book series, Chad Stewart, with us today. He is absolutely amazing, and he joins us here on our big program. So what has been some of the feedback that you've gotten on these books so far? Absolutely love it. It's, uh, it, it, it we've been getting feedback, um, not just across the nation, but across the globe. Uh, I received um, an email a couple weeks ago from a woman, probably in her 40s, from the Netherlands. And, and we shipped out book three to her, you know, at the cost of like $50. And she goes, I absolutely love your series. She goes, I've never read anything like it. And I thought, wow, you know, just that alone is a compliment. Um, we received uh, feedback from a 14-year-old high school student in Virginia about a couple months ago that, you know, loves the series um, and just finished book three. And she says, you're now up there with Lord of the Rings, which I thought was an amazing compliment. Um, we had, a, we had some reviews that say uh, it's a combination of C.S. Lewis and Dan Brown, which I thought was, was amazing. That's awesome. I've had so many students and, and children say that it's their favorite book series, which I think, again, too, is just a massive, huge compliment considering the plethora you know, of amazing authors over the last couple of centuries. And, um, and so, yeah, the feedback has just been incredible. I got a, uh, there's a woman in, uh, I think she was a homeschool mother from Arizona maybe three weeks ago, and she, she said... Uh, she goes, she, she'd been looking for, to find something good to read because there, there's so little out there. You know, it's all compromised. It's all agenda-oriented. And she goes, I found the Britfield Lost Crown series. She goes, I absolutely loved it. She goes, I read it in one day, 384 pages. She goes, it reminded me of Oliver Twist, Sherlock Holmes, Victor Hugo, and Harry Potter. <laughs> I thought, wow. wow that, that, that covers the gamut. <laughs> That's pretty badass. <laughs> We have got a great guest with us today. He joins us live here on our big broadcast. Chad Stewart is with us today. He has got this incredible book series. Uh, you can get more information at Chad Stewart with us today, and he joins us live here on our big program. So what um, authors would you consider to be like a mentor or somebody that you, that you pattern your, your books after? Absolutely. Yeah, I was hugely influenced by Charles Dickens. I'm a, I'm a big Charles Dickens fan, and I think, I think Brisfield Lost Crown series might be closest to that, just in the sense that, you know, when Charles Dickens were writing those stories, they were, they were sort of realized fiction. You know, they were, they were in current time, current places, London, based on real stories, real people, and he just sort of fictionalized it. And I think it's very similar to what I've done with the Brisfield Lost Crown series. It's present time. It's happening right now real characters, you know, people that I've either met 
um, or, or know of. And, um, and, you know, we incorporate history, geography, art, architecture, and, and culture into the book. So as a child is reading and as an adult is reading it, they're learning about all these things. It's about family, friendship, loyalty, and courage. And we also hit the four C's, creativity, critical thinking, communication, and collaboration. And so that's everything that are packed into these little fast-paced books. And uh, so Charles Dickens, big C.S. Lewis fan. Um, and then I, like, I love Jane Austen, you know, from the sort of English side, from the uh, sort of romance, the story, um, the conflict between um, the different um, uh, classes. And then I'm, I'm a big Bronte fan, too, you know, Withering Heights and, and um, uh, Jane Eyre. So those are some of the, the authors that had huge impact on me. That's awesome. We have got a great guest with us today. Chad Stewart is with us. He joins us live. He's the author of the Britfield book series, and he joins us today here on our big broadcast. You can get more information, Britfield.com, Britfield.com. So what makes your books different from others like it out there in the marketplace? Yeah, and I, th- I would think it's, it's I'm trying, it's, if I could pin it to some other stories that are out there, um, that's great. And I, and, I, and I sort of struggled to do that. I think it's, it's quite original in some ways. Um, and I think what's original, number one, especially in today's time, day and age, is, is that it takes place in present time. And I don't use any of those devices. Like I said, there, there's no magic. There's no superpowers. There's no, there's no wand to wave. There's no magical cloak. There's no spell. There's no flying. And so there is a thought as, they're as authentic as they can be. And I do a ton of research. In fact, you know, I'm researching every single day when I'm writing. You know, I'm pulling up, tra- you know, train, train times from London to Oxford. I'm pulling up um, uh, maps, you know, how, how far is the distance. I'm, look- I'm pulling up pictures to describe certain buildings as accurate as possible. And I'm, so I'm trying to make everything as authentic and, as, and, and, and real as possible. So I think that's, that's great. I think the fact that really it's, you know, it's, the foundation of the whole story is about the importance of family. That's the foundation. That, that's the thread that runs all the way through it. Family, friendship, loyalty, courage, and faith. And um, I, think, I think so many books have kind of gone off that, that reservation. And, it, and it really, they're really kind of a flashover substance. And I think once you read Britfield and Lost Crown, you start to look at some of these other you know, top bestsellers, and they seem almost a little bit silly, in my opinion, because they use those devices. And you're thinking to yourself, the main characters, Tom and Sarah, it's like, you know, well, they just, they didn't have a wand to wave, or they didn't just fly or walk through a, a wall or, or were able to transport themselves in time. You know, they, they had to figure it out, and, and, and uh, you know, sometimes they had the wrong, the wrong uh, ideas, and, and they got caught or they got hurt or whatever. And um, what, what I've created is really just um, natural heroes. And I was actually thinking about it today, but it's just, you're teaching kids how to think and, and how to apply themselves and how to be creative and how to, how to, how to think critically um, and how to communicate and ask questions. And you're training them in that methodology, really, is what our schools used to do. Um, and that's what these books are doing. And it's, and it's really taking literature, I think, to, to the next level. We like to say that it's this generation's book series and that we're restoring your faith in literature. We have got a great guest with us today. He joins us live, Chad Stewart. He's the author of the Britfield book series. Get more information, Britfield.com, and he joins us today here on our big program. So what do you want readers to take away from your writing of these great books? I think first and foremost, just to have a, a great story to read that's a lot of fun and takes you back to those sort of child childlike times. I mean, I was... You know, some of the books that impacted me was Beverly Clearly, um, 
uh, the mouse and the motorcycle. That's awesome. Ralph, I that. love that book. Yes. Right. Yes. I remember that. I, I read mouse that and I, the and motorcycle, baby. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I, I actually bought those. I bought all three of those uh, last Christmas and reread them 40 years later. It was just That's so awesome. much fun to go through that, right? That's awesome. Um, They're great. I love Charlie the Chocolate Factory. I'm a big Roll Doll fan. Uh, James and the Giant Peach, for yes. me at least, was transformational. Yes. Um, and then the Hardy Boys. I mean, those, that, those are great, you know, sort of classics. And, um, and I think, I think there's, a, there's, a, there's a level of it, too, that would kind of tap into the Hardy Boys, the mysteries that are kind of real and in current time, although those, those took place in the 1930s. But, you know, they took place in current time, and, and uh, you know, when they, when they got hurt, they got hurt, and when they needed to get somewhere, they had to either ride their motorbikes or, or walk. So That's awesome. We have got a great guest with us today. Joins us live here on our big broadcast, Coast to Coast, Border to Border on iHeartRadio today. And you can get more information, Britfield.com. Chad Stewart is the author of the Britfield Brook series, and he joins us today here on our big program. So what is the one message that you want readers to grasp from these books? I think that uh, the fact that uh, there's there's somebody out there, and I know there's quite a few really that are trying to write really good, edifying literature that um, inspires our our youth. Our focus is the next generation of children, and little by little, we're trying to put creativity back into the classrooms, back into the libraries, and um, and really train these these children and even adults up into the you know the fun of travel, um, the fun of education, the fun of learning, the fun of creativity the fun of geography, the fun of history, and we tie all of that into this book series. And um, I think, like I said, our youngest reader is 7, our oldest reader is 93. We've had 12-year-olds that have read the book in, tw- uh, in five hours. Um, and we're just having a huge impact. We're having such an impact that uh, some of the feedback I'm getting from kids also, which is kind of fun, is that they're, they're writing their own book now. And I love that. I, it's like full circle. Because I was inspired when I was uh, in sixth grade, um, when I was 12, I had to write a book, you know, for our assignment. It's like 20, 25 pages. And here I am 40 years later writing books, and then we're now inspiring 12, 13, 14-year-olds to write their own books. And I, I was talking, I was actually with a couple yesterday, homeschool parents, last week I met their daughter for, the, for her 13th birthday. It was a surprise. I'm her favorite Brookfield is her favorite series, and I'm her favorite author, which is just amazing. And I showed up and surprised her. You know, at, at her uh, at her at her lunch, and she's like just so excited, and she's writing her own book series now. But it was so funny. She said, um, "Yeah, she goes. We've we've I've gotten together with a lot of my friends, and we we've started um, the Britfield Club, and we get together and we meet, and we talk about the books, and we act out the characters." And I thought, I love that. You know, that it's just having that kind of creative impact on children. I know parents that have um, uh, that read it with their their. Uh, their, their children, which I love. So it's not just the kids that are reading it, but the parents are reading it along with them. So now they're involved in it and get to share it. I know another couple that um, the family built, they made a Britfield board game that they play every weekend. <laughs> I thought, how cool is that? So it's just that, there's just all these really great nuances and impact that the book series is having. We're also having a huge impact on literacy. And I know that because I get feedback from librarians across the nation that will... Um, uh, give it to a you know reluctant reader, children or, or um, boys, fourteen, fifteen years old that have never read a novel, and uh, it's the first book that they read cover to cover, and they come back two or three days later and say, "I, I love it." Did you have book two? 
And so that's what's exciting to me. The exciting that we're, we're, we're kind of exciting the idea of, of literature, of reading, the importance of reading, but you're reading something that is good and healthy and edifying and something that you can learn from. That's awesome. It is a tremendous, tremendous author with us today. Chad Stewart is with us. He's the author of the Britfield book series. Get more information, Britfield.com. And he joins us today here on our big program. So this book, incredibly well-written. You put a lot of time and effort into the book. Um, what is next for you as an author? Yeah, I've got, uh, you know, I'm trying to finish up book four by uh, November of this year, and then the editing process starts so we can launch it, book four, we can launch in August next year, and then I still have got three more books. That'll be Asia, South America, and then the United States. So I'm kind of locked into the series for the next five to six years. Um, we're, we're in uh, development and almost pre-production for the first of seven Britfield movies. We believe that the Britfield movie will be one of the highest grossing films in cinematic history. And if all goes well, the first of seven movies will be launched in November 2025. We um, actually developed a theatrical play based on book one specifically for um, elementary and middle schools. And we piloted it last October at a school in San Diego or Southern California. And uh, it's a, it's a two-act, 90-minute, tight uh, theatrical play. And uh, to, to great success, we piloted over four nights. Everyone loved it. We had over 30 students that were involved in the play. They all had speaking roles. They were involved in the play all the way through, playing different characters or background. And so we're also trying to kind of impact and revive theater in schools and get away from the sort of nonsense of musicals. No offense, but that's about 90% of it, and that alienates about 90% of kids that want to go out for theater. Yes. And, uh, and get back to the roots of just an actor's play, real acting and, and, and a real story, not this fantasy and fiction. That's awesome. We have got a great guest with us today. Chad Stewart is with us. He's the author of the Britfield book series. Get more information, Britfield.com. And uh, I really appreciated you making some time for us today. This has been an incredible, incredible interview. Thanks for making some time. Thanks for writing some incredible books. And uh, thanks for being on the broadcast, my friend. Hey, I appreciate it. This is, you had great questions. You gave me plenty of time to answer. And thank you so much. And, uh, you know, Godspeed to your audience. And just have a great fall. Definitely. You too, my friend. I will talk to you soon. Have yourself a blessed day, my man. Okay. Appreciate Bye -bye. it. There he goes. That is Chad Stewart, the author of the Britfield book series. And that wraps it up here for this segment. And we are going to get it figured out on the other side. You are listening to the World Famous Jaguar Radio Broadcast. Oh, back here in a few moments. Okay, we are back live here with Roger Homefield. We've gotten our issues resolved on our uh, internet end of things. And uh, we don't have an, a, a guest coming up here for at least another so-called minutes. So we may go a little longer with Roger Homefield. Uh, we have got the fantastic Roger Homefield. So first of all, earlier today... I was watching a little bit of this censorship hearing that turned into them wanting to censor someone. 
<laughs> RFK Jr. was yeah. up there being uh he was he was being uh he was on the record. Not that old Greta Van Susteren show from Fox News. But uh he was he was he was testifying at, on internet censorship. And in the middle of this testimony, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who I cannot stand, oh, I can't stand turns it. around and wants to censor him. <laughs> I'm like, you literally cannot make this up. They, well, part, part of this is he was talking about um, the disappearing middle class, which Democrats don't like that either. Mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about that because it's supposed to be the elites and then the poor. No, we don't talk about those people in the middle. So it was it was quite the deal. So so I wanted to start there with you today. <laughs> with the censorship or uh, yes, well, with the whole I, thing, and then we'll get into we'll get into the stuff uh, that you've you've got prepared statements. I'm assuming. Well, but censorship, you've got censorship, you've got the border, you've got energy, right? It's it's like one of the dozens of issues, right? Yes. And and we could spend the rest of our time on Earth parsing each one and pulling our hair out and saying, why are they doing this, yada, yada, yada. But it's all connected to one thing. And we've yes. got to get right to the heart of it. I mean, I mean, sometime down the road. No, the censorship is disgusting. It's a... Uh, it started the day before the election. The New York Post, one of the most respected, one of the older newspapers uh, in America, came out with a spot-on, accurate bombshell uh, write-up, which was promptly, have you ever seen this before, Jiggy? It was a complete blackout. It wasn't on social media. It wasn't on TV. It wasn't, it wasn't like anywhere. It's like they literally were able to get all of media to seal themselves up at once. Now think about that. All the different aspects of media, they were able with a snap of a finger to just get that, to tell them, you don't pass that story on. Don't, don't you know, just bury the story. Uh, the election would have absolutely been different had that been revealed to the people. You know, so once again, that comes back to was there election fraud? Well, are you talking about on the day of the election or in general? That absolutely was. But um, anyway, go ahead, Jimmy. So, besides all this, what else is going on in your world? Oh, you don't want to know. Uh, <laughs> on one hand, I'm worried about the end of the world, right? And on the other hand, I've got my my softball game, <laughs> and I at some times. Uh, I really don't know which one is more important. No, I know that sounds glib and and silly, and uh, but this senior softball thing is like an alternate reality, okay? And it was bases loaded, two out, and uh, I didn't do the deal, okay? So I'm not happy about that. But it, it, it keeps you challenged all the time. Um, no, Jiggy, it's been driving me nuts for a long time. That's why I had this, like, long list. We don't have to go through all of them, obviously. But there have been so many things that we have given up as Americans and as a culture, as the left, you know, you give them an inch, they take a mile. And they're, they're very yeah. orchestrated. They're cohesive. We don't have anything. We don't even have a dirty tricks department. We, we, we need a department to, to just offset them or to, or to defend against them. But 
Can I just go down the list? Just yes, let's go, baby. Let's and go. We by, got time. By, let's go. By, it's called stretching, folks. By no, means, <laughs> by no means is this everything. This is just something that, you know, came right out. Uh, they destroyed the American way. <clears throat> Christmas. Years ago, they said, there's no war on Christmas. They, which means there's a war on Christmas. <laughs> that's exactly when they said there's no war. That's what it means. There was a war on Christmas. I remember when the towns used to have lighting across the street in every yep. town. And you know something, ladies and gentlemen? Oh, am I not supposed to say ladies and gentlemen? Well, that's too bad. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> we used to have all kinds of Christmas lights. And the music was, it was the one time a year where people actually listened to spiritual, beautiful music together, especially, uh, yep. because the music today, it, it's not that, it's just not like that. It doesn't have that tenderness. It doesn't have that love in it. Uh, so Christmas is really a great thing. And um, what people don't realize, it doesn't even matter about uh, what religion you are. It's a national holiday. Yep. Christmas is a, yep. and it's for the kids. But what have we done for the kids? We take it away Christmas. And we ask them at seven if they're gender fluid, like the kids post. I don't even know what the hell that is. I don't even know what that means. Folks, you grow up, and as you go through school, you go through puberty, and we've been doing it for I don't know how many thousands of years. We didn't have to have any liberal teachers ask us what is going on down in our private parts and in our brains. It's just unbelievable, Jiggy. Uh, I, I think they're just trying to prove that, that the masses will accept anything, and I think perhaps that's what we're being conditioned for. They want to show that we will literally accept sending our kids to school at seven years old. And the first question out of a teacher's mouth to this kid is, uh, is he gender fluid? Look, it's a process. It's part of growing up. There may be men, there may be boys that are very effeminate that grow up to be very macho. It doesn't make it or, or the other way around. It doesn't make any difference. Um, there was a, uh, what was it, Mr. Rogers? Mr. Rogers had a very yeah. delicate tone about himself, right? Yeah. This guy was a war hero. He was a freaking war hero. So who are these people? <laughs> who are these teachers? It's like, it's like Seinfeld used to say, who are these people? Well, think about it. You know, you have to go to a specialist for anything. What the hell do they know about seven-year-old puberty and, and what fluidity they have in their gender? I mean, it's just, uh, it's amazing, really, that the parents are putting up with it. It's amazing they're putting up with it. And yeah. I, I hope, it, you know, I, I hope it either gets to the point, I hope it either stops, or I hope it gets to the point where we stop putting up with it. And let the chips fall where they are. Okay? Uh, Halloween, forget it. Can't have that. Oh, no, 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 no. Because, you know, that, that offends too many people. One Halloween. <laughs> it offends too many okay, people. Okay, it was a Muslim. It was Halloween. And a Muslim was insulted by this mask. Somebody had a mask, I guess, of an Arab or a terrorist, something of that nature. And he hauls off and, and punches him in the face. They go to court. They go to trial. Just says, oh, well, that's all right. He was insulted. You see, in Islam, it's assault. It's, it, it, it doesn't mean <laughs> that's what it, that is. insulted. It doesn't matter even if something is right or wrong. If you're insulted, just for general knowledge, you know this, folks. If you're insulted in Islam, 
It doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. It's still considered, you'll recognize this friend, hate speech. If they don't <laughs> like what you say about them, right or wrong, true or not, it's hate speech. And it could be off with your head. So when these ass clowns we have here in America, all you hear about is this hate speech, hate speech. It's always it's the people with the little stop the hate signs in the yard. They're the ones doing all the hate. But uh, yeah, it, uh, it, it's just it goes on. Okay, the Boy Scouts. We don't have the Boy Scouts anymore. I mean, I don't know if we don't have them. Maybe they're, they're very diminished. Or you certainly don't hear about them or see about them anymore. I can't imagine we have Cub Scouts anymore. And it began with gay people being assured the right that they can join the Boy Scouts. And that sounds reasonable, right? Yeah. So, so the Boy Scouts said, that's reasonable. We can't, you know, uh, we don't want to not grant you that. So they did. So then what happened? So then the activists, and it's not the gay community, it's the activists. I don't even think they care about the gay community. Um, then they come back and they say, well, uh, we should be able to be um, group leaders, like scout leaders, like the adult that takes them, and we should be able to take them to camping and everything and anything else. And then after that, lawsuits followed because, of course, they were problems. Uh, so, you know, sometimes yeah. common sense is, uh, well, it's just a thing of the past uh, in this country. So is romance. <laughs> That's certainly a thing of the past. Romance? I wonder if kids even know what that word means. Think oh, I'm it. sure they don't. Romance. <laughs> I'm sure they don't. Chivalry. Right? I mean, that that's even more obscure than romance. Uh, sportsmanship would be another thing that would be even more remote than both of those. Because in today's sports, you jump yeah. on the guy's head and go, yeah, great, I'm number one. There's no such thing as sportsmanship. It doesn't, it doesn't appear to me. And the biggest, well, one of the large problems is that we have lost our melting pot. We were always proud to yep. be the melting pot, which means, folks, you come into America, you're coming into America because you love America, you love Americans, and you want to join us in what we are doing, and you jump in the melting pot along with everybody else, and we're America. We're not all these separate little groups, this multiculturalism crap, which they try to pawn everybody as being, oh, such a wonderful thing. It's not a wonderful thing. It's intended to split the culture, period. Uh, Merkel, and, and I think it was Macron, and I remember this well because I, I cross-referenced it because I had the show at that time. They said on the same, they said that multiculturalism was an abject failure. Anyway, but they certainly have a lot of it in their countries. Um, unity. Obviously, we don't have unity. <laughs> unity? What does that word? Unity? Uh, kind of like the, who was the football word? coach? The playoffs? The playoffs? Playoffs? <laughs> For real. Playoffs? That's one of, that's one of my favorite unity. favorite clips. <laughs> and and uh, unity has been replaced by class warfare. Right? And... What really breaks my heart, and I'll tell you the lizard story one time because it relates to this. The lizard story? What's the lizard story? I found these big placards in the garage to guide the lizard out of the house. And these were like 14-year-old placards from the uh, protest days, the Tea Party. (laughs) And uh, one of the big placards said, 
stop killing the American dream. They've been killing wow. it all along. Uh, that is their very intention. That's that's why they attack everything that's important to this country, whether it be the things that we just talked about, uh, or patriotism itself. Um, respect and civility. We don't have that either. We've these are all the things that we're losing. We're just this is just a little pittance of, of things here on this list. Uh, they will say we'll probably say, oh, that's Trump because he's so nasty. Uh, no, that's not what I'm referring to. Uh, I don't think um, it started back. Remember when uh, Bush was president, and the uh, the White House press corps were literally like a, a, a room of hyenas. Uh, of course, they were no better with room Trump. You know, they got they got warmed up with that. But uh, room full of hyenas. There's no civility. There's no respect. I hope I didn't go over the top in your estimation uh, last week when I <laughs> no, called No, you're good. I called him Mr. Root. You know why? I've never met the man. I never met the man, so I call him Mr. Root instead I love of Wayne. It. I love it. I, I, I mean, you know, it's it's called respect. <sighs> okay, we don't have the news anymore. That's <laughs> We can kiss our arses goodbye with that. And you know, when Trump first came out and he said the fake news... I think a, a lot of people, even even we supporters of him, thought in the very beginning that he was going maybe a little over the top of it, that a little far. And no, that wasn't the case at all. The case was that it's far, 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 far worse than we ever suspected. You know, I mean, especially that we find out about the spying and all, all, everything. Um, so the fake news, it. It's worse than fake news. It's an agenda-driven news. It's a propaganda news. It's like yep. TASS. It's like TASS or Pravda that we learned about in, in Russia. They're not only no better, they're worse. <laughs> they're worse because who would suspect them? You know, they're supposed to be an American press. That? So uh, that, that's really quite distressing. The FBI, oh my God, please. <laughs> I know it's not everybody. It's not all you guys. I'm sure it's not even a majority. Let's not hope. But let's just say it used to be bum ba dum bum ba da dum bum bum. Right? Now it's more like bum ba dum bum. It's really it's really a disgrace. I mean, they're just overtly indicting people that are wanted to come out and speak against uh, Biden that have, that have some uh, whistleblower information. Um, and it's not even done in the dead of night or anything. It's just, it's really, it's really like they don't care. They don't care what we think. They don't care. Uh, and, and apparently, you know, there are not enough strong Republicans to make them care, or they would all have their arses parked on the Capitol steps Singing kumbaya like the Democrats. Oh, the, you know, the Democrats, vote. they show this unity and they're not going to leave. And they have their demands. And yet we have all these outrageous things that happen to us. And where are they? I mean, yeah, we've got Jim Jordan and Devin Nunes. And sure, yeah, we've got, what, a dozen or so? It should be, it should be all of them. All of them. They are AWOL. They're all missing in action. Then they want your money. It's... Uh, well, what, what next do we have here? Those, the CIA. What, the same thing. But one thing, I got to thank John Brennan for this because 
He's at my all-time. He should be one of the first to go to prison, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> he should be one of the first <laughs> oh, to go absolutely. to prison. Oh, absolutely. freaking lutely He was in all this crap with the spying and everything. But he was responsible for there being a document of the memo that Hillary Clinton, and he told this to Obama and Biden because they were in the room. And he's reading the memo. I, I don't know if he was reading it or just paraphrasing it. Yeah. And told them that Hillary, in an attempt to distract from her 33,000 emails, was concocting a plan to hook Trump with Russia so that they could frame him and try to unseat a sitting president. But if nothing else, it would deflect the story away from her emails. Now, I'm not making this up. This is true. This is fact. How many Americans know this? Not enough. That's for sure. So it goes on and on. Then you got the IRS. You remember, remember Lois Lerner of the IRS? Jiggy? Yes. Unfortunately, right? I do. And and it, and it came out that they weren't giving the uh, tax breaks to the Tea Parties that were nonprofits. Do you remember when Bill O'Reilly, at halftime of the Super Bowl, interviewed President Barack Obama? Yes. And he, and he asked him about this. He says, well, um, Mr. President, isn't it just a, a, a little bit of, uh, of stuff maybe that, that went on there against, against the conservatives? And uh, Obama, no, not even a smidgen. Not even a smidgen. You know... There has never been a smidgen of truth. <laughs> There's never been a smidgen of truth out of that man. And I know everybody wanted to believe he was such a great guy, but he wasn't and he isn't. He's a liar. No. Period. And I'll and I'll tell you, he uh he he also uh I interviewed and in fact I'm gonna try to get her on with you at some stage of the game. I interviewed a woman who was a private investigator who realized that years ago, Barack Obama ended up stealing someone's social security number and using that as his own. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not that surprised. Look, he's got his name was Barry Satoro. Yes. I mean, yes. You know, his name is Barry Satoro. How come people don't know this? And uh, Barry Satoro. Yep. There's that all was different it. stories about people when he he was living. He was living in the apartment with Bill Ayers and, and Bernadette Dorn, I think. I, I think that's a couple, right? Yeah. And he was staying with them. These are revolutionaries. They were revolutionaries. And somebody said they met him, and he was talking, and he said, yeah, he's going uh, to be president one day. Anyway, uh, we can go on. There's a guy, Tom Fife, that had an incredible story, but I, I, won't, I won't get stuck in the mud there. Uh, elections, we don't have elections that we used to have. We used to have real elections, folks. They were over at 10 p.m. They were yep, over. Yep. Okay, then the first, then we had this debacle with Bush and and uh, and, and the climate whack job and uh, Gore. And since then, we haven't had elections. Not, I mean, not normal elections. You can't wait a month to find out who the hell is in office. How can the country get anything done that way? And we're not yeah. just talking like, you know, for an alderman or something. We're talking about the damn president of the United States. <laughs> alderman! That's I mean, awesome. Well, <laughs> military strength is a thing of the past. 
I mean, the first thing Obama did, and I'm finally hearing other people saying it, is that every single thing, because I used to tear my hair out with this, I said this, every single thing that Obama did weakened America, weakened America. And it, it warms my heart to finally hear some other, other people saying that. Uh, and of course, Biden does the same thing. Biden, Obama, Obama, Biden. It's, it's the same administration, really. Um, so our military strength is, is, is back in the toilet again. Uh, whereas with Obama, it was the rules of engagement, what these guys had to go through uh, in Afghanistan and such. They were getting picked off and they, they couldn't do they couldn't do anything because they weren't allowed to wake up the civilians with noise of gunfire. Anyway, I'm not going to get off off the path with that. Ah, but our, mili- wow. our military strength is, is, is taking a, a dive after Trump had it really built up. And it's but where is their attention on gender uh, on all this nonsense? I mean, is, is the is the Navy, is the 18 year old Navy guy supposed to be thinking and Wondering about the other Navy guy that's like on the bunk bed just above him. I mean, this is all a distraction. For the military is there to kill people, people that want to kill us. Yeah, it's not a playground. It's not a social engineering laboratory. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, so our military ability is very is. I'm, I'm sure we have the military ability, but we certainly don't have the leaders in there now either. And we are getting light on the armor. Uh, gee, could you imagine if Trump would have told people that we're low on ammunition? <laughs> I don't think that would have gone over too well. Um, safety. Oh, just a little one. Here, what is this on the list? Safe, number 17 on the safety. <laughs> Look what's happened to your safety from the day Biden was elected. Yeah, I rest my case. I mean, the things that make a society a civilized society is how we treat our kids, how we treat our old, and if everyone can live in safety and going about their business. That's gone. I mean, it may be okay for me. I'm six one. I live in I live in Florida, but it's like I said the other day. What would happen if I had a, a red Trump hat on and I decided to go for a stroll in Times Square? <laughs> you think I would make it out of there with that hat? No. Or my head? No. And I have to question, you know, so there we go. So our safety, uh, lawfulness, well, it goes right with that. What we see today going on, and it's still going on, and no one is still doing anything about it. The video of people just walking in, walking out with all these bicycles. And then we hear the stories about how if you're a security guard or a manager of the store or whatever, an employee that tries to stop them, you get fired. Good Lord. I mean, you can't make this up. And it's been consistent. It's been consistent. So basically, they're being, you tell a security guard that's supposed to secure the store, uh, just let them come up and take what they want, as long as I guess it's not more than $950 or some, some insanity. So, look, I, I am allergic to BS. And that's kind of why I, I literally am allergic to it. Uh, I, I bet a lot of people are. And uh, I had a friend, he drove Greyhound bus, he was a musician in Canada. He's passed on now, so I can tell the story. He asked me not to because he didn't want to get in trouble. Because on his compensation disability, it says, what's his medical uh, issue? And it was, he's allergic to 
Both. BS. So uh, I, they recognize it. So uh, anyway, that's really how I feel about things. I, I can't really cope with, I don't, let's say another way is saying it, I, I can't cope with insanity uh, when I don't understand why other people are having as difficult a time as I am in coping with it. Uh, our culture, it needs, doesn't need to be say uh, what we're losing. The culture, of course, in general, we're losing, whether whether it's Christmas or Halloween or the Boy Scouts or any of those other things that we mentioned just a few minutes ago. It's the very heart of what they're trying to destroy. They being the leftists, those that would do the bidding of the New World Order, those that hate America, anarchists, communists, socialists. And by the way, folks, I'm sorry, but these are all the people that would be very happy to see the Democrats win again. What does that tell you? Is that the team you want to keep on? No. Uh, <laughs> natural demographics. We no longer have natural demographics. We've been socially engineered. We've never been consulted. There was no conversation. Do you remember a conversation about this ever? 20, 30, 40, 50, you know, whatever they decided. We will stop having educated white professionals from Europe come in the country, that they're going to go to the bottom of the list. Uh, look, maybe there's some virtue in that. But they never consulted with the American people. So the demographic, the demographics in this country are completely turned upside down, which into itself is okay if it was natural. But I don't like to be socially engineered. I don't like the country to be socially engineered. And that's what that was. And like I say, it's really amazing. Nobody talks about it. But why wasn't that a debate? Why wasn't it discussed? Why wasn't it voted on? But it wasn't. So we've lost our natural demographics. And we're continuing to with the rate that the illegals are gushing in on the southern border. Now, look. These are not like your husband, wife, and little child, like in the Magnificent Seven. I used to be so proud to be an American that, you know, our guy, that it was always like the thing about America is that you could have a husband, wife, and a little child and be safe. And that was the difference between us and a little village in Mexico where they had the banditos running around. It was craziness, <laughs> right? Right? And it's like we were the sophisticated ones. We didn't have that happening here. Well, we sure as hell do now. Uh, the economy is number 21. Where do you start and end with that? I mean, once again, in two and a half years, they've decimated the best economy we ever had. The numbers were the best for Latinos, for African-Americans, blacks. I still don't know what, what words to use there. Uh, Asians, whatever. It, it was better for everybody. And, you know, they call Trump the racist. Trump has been saying all along that his policies are for everybody. Yeah, they're for everyone. So what, you know, they don't want to get it because they simply don't want to get it. They don't want to hear that part of it. Um, but nonetheless, that's part of their narrative, part of the crap. What do we have next? The uh, energy independence. Unbelievable. Un you know, for a spit in time, I tried to get out of music. I became a commodities broker and oil. And I'm very familiar with this. And I remember a long time ago when we wanted to drill and the Democrats said, no, heck, that would take 10 years. 
well, hey, time passes like in a split second anyway. But to go from energy independent to where we were going to actually be energy dominant, exporting energy to now having to get it from Venezuela, uh, it's beyond comprehension. It's only so that they look good to the base, to the rabid, crazy base that's anti-everything, anti-oil. Oh, no, so we're not drilling, but we'll get it from those that are. And, and that's supposed to be okay. That, that makes it okay. Absolute insanity. Absolute insanity. Energy, uh, energy independence, yeah. Well, and, and the thing is, if Trump came back, we could get that back very quickly. Not that quickly, because for these companies to start up and all this gear and everything, uh, it, it's really, it's criminal what they've done to this country. Especially because, in my estimation, it's all by design. It's all intentional. And what does that mean? That's treason. That's how I see it. They want to come pick me up for that? Bring it on. But to me, that's treason. What else do you call it when you're working against the United States of America and you're in the government? <laughs> and that's what they do. That's what they do. Oh, here's another one. Uh, 23, parental control. <clears throat> Off the charts, folks. You send your seven-year-old elementary school to be quizzed about his or her sexuality and do they ever think they like somebody of the same sex and this and that and do they know how to masturbate <laughs> who are these teachers how is it that every school every community in the whole country is doing that crap once again because this is all tentacles coming from this new world order this agenda 21 all this crap that if we don't get together as a country and all get on the same page, we're not going to have any shot at withstanding that. That's why I asked uh, Wayne Allen Root that last week. Is it too late? I respected his answer because he was being painfully honest. He says it's likely too late. It's not too late, but the window's closing and there's not all that much left. And if we're going to do nothing but squabble over what bathroom to go to for the next couple of years, and that's the reason, that's the smokescreen to everything. Get everybody fighting about all this nonsense. And meanwhile, we're going to lose America. I don't think people understand Agenda 21. That's United Nations Agenda 21. We're signed on to it with 179 countries. Believe it or not, in that we secede our sovereignty. And we no longer follow the laws of the Constitution. We follow the laws of the globalists, of the United Nations. Am I wrong, Jiggy? Am I... Am I, am I saying this you're, incorrectly? You're on point, my man. You're on point. Nobody knows this, Jiggy. Nobody knows this. And, uh, oh boy, I wish I didn't love the country so much, but I, I just had such a great childhood. Such a great childhood. Superman, truth, justice, and the American way, and I was always proud of that. Uh, look, I'm not naive completely, folks. I'm naive, but not completely naive. I know we did some bad things, and there's things behind the curtain, and there's things under the rug. But for the most part, we were the moral leadership of the world. We're not now. We're not now. I mean, it used to be that the American dream, if, if you were a political prisoner in the middle of Timbuktu or wherever, uh, <laughs> or and wherever. you're in the middle of a political prison, at least that political prisoner was able to dream about what would happen 
if he escaped or a genie came and, and somehow he got to the United States of America and he could be free. He could at least have that stinking dream in the cell. And now he can't. You know why? Because we have our own stinking political prisoners. <laughs> the January Sixers. Who are suing, uh, I understand they're suing CNN or someone. I hope they just sue them out of existence once, <laughs> once and for all. You know, how many existence. incidents do you need with that, that Sandman kid? Like, enough of this, really. Uh, uh, what's the next number we have here? Parental control. Yeah, so the parents, Jiggy, they never would have learned anything about it if it wasn't for the pandemic homeschooling thing and, you know, over the Internet. And then when they were outraged, what happens? Oh, the soft-spoken uh, Garland, Merrick Garland. Oh, yeah, he's so sick of the FBI on parents because they have the balls and they care about their kids and they love their kids enough to go to the school board. It's not easy to speak publicly, ladies and gentlemen. It's not easy at all. Even for me, you know, I was a professional. I was an entertainer. It's not easy to do it. And, and especially in a setting like that, where you're standing up and, got, you know, the, the way they got the room set up now is. And uh, it's very difficult for these civilians to get up there and talk. They're tremoring. They've got pages to read. It's very difficult for them. And so what do these SOBs do? They sick the FBI on them. There's no other people more important yep. for the FBI to spend their time with, right? American pride. I mean, I have American pride. Don't get me wrong. But they don't want you to. Nope. They don't want you to. That's why don't stand for the flag. Sit down. Remember all that crap? <laughs> Look, this all comes together, Jiggy. This all, all this stuff that's been happening is because they're trying to rot our country from within. And unfortunately, they're doing a very good job. There's no pushback. And when there is pushback, you have the, uh, the, you know, the parents with the FBI, and you have, uh, I brought this up before, the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers. Now, I'm not going to testify to the agenda of each and every one of everyone that, that were in those groups, but I know a little bit about it, and it's, I think there's a, a, a substantial chance that they could completely railroad it, all right, accused of being uh, white supremacists. Enrico Tarius was the founder of the Proud Boys, and he was not the only Latin or black there. So what does the left say? Oh, he doesn't count because he's just a useful idiot for the white supremacists. You see how that works, folks? You can't win with that. Yep. They're revolutionaries. They want to kill America. They hate America, and they probably hate you, too. <laughs> if, if you love America, they hate you, too. If you love Christmas, they probably hate you. They're sick, and Christmas was for the kids. Like, they care about today's kids, right? With the, the Democrats, all they go, oh, the children, Pelosi, the children, it's for the children. No one has ever done more damage to American children than this abominable administration. They should be held accountable. They should go to prison. How many thousands of our kids are going to be screwed up for their entire lives? A generation of them? I mean, this has been going on for quite a while. They've been politically polluted to hate America. 
they, they've been racially, complete, uh, uh, sexually completely confused. Like, oh, well, maybe we should try that because, hey, everybody is celebrating uh, uh, the rainbow. Everybody celebrates the gay pride. I want to be, I want to be hip. I want to be uh, uh, like my peers. I want to be as good as everybody else. I, I guess, uh, yeah, I, I want to be a girl. And they don't, they don't damn well that's what they're doing. I mean, come on, when you celebrate it, and then you go, oh, what choice? I, it's just, how are they allowed to ask any of these questions when you think about not too long ago what would be considered sexual harassment in school? So in other words, you can ask a seven-year-old if he thinks he should be a girl, and do they know anything about masturbation and this and that, but if you went at one of the girls in the school or asked her out on a date, you might get hit with a sexual harassment complaint. Yep. Do we see what's going on here, folks? So you get a sexual harassment complaint, but it's okay to walk into a girl's bathroom or locker room. And it goes on and on. But uh, I, I don't know at what point everyone will stand up screaming for some common sense. You know, and somebody said the other day that the conservative thing, it just really is about common sense. And that's really all I've ever thought about regarding Trump. The other stuff, you know, his style and this and that, I find it entertaining. I used to cringe sometimes and I was afraid that it would hurt things, but I got over that. I said, no, let him do his thing. Or he got us to this point. If we love what he's doing, who am I to uh, complain and criticize how he does it? Just get it done because I'm too nice a guy. I'm a nice guy. I would not have gotten a lot of the things done that he got done because he had to really push to get things done. Like the wall where they wouldn't give him a dime for it. So to me, Trump is nothing more really than common sense. He's been saying that all along. And uh, I think he's absolutely, absolutely correct. Uh, American pride, American, huh? You know, and they're all a little different. They're not the same. American pride, American stability. Oh my God. The instability in this country um, I guess there was a lot of instability on September 12th. We didn't know if we were going to get attacked again. And those were not good times whatsoever. And the anthrax was a terrible, terrible thing. Um, but for a protracted period of time like what we have now, you don't know what's going to happen with the dollar, with the oil, with our enemies, with the, you know, it's, with the kids. It's just yep. we're surrounded by insanity that's being foisted on this country and uh so stability is the last thing we have in america and it's painful to say that it really is uh how about american american leadership and america's role as a superpower we may as well have clarabelle running this country <laughs> and mr bean in the administration have you seen the people in the administration and their qualifications are nothing more than, oh, well, this one represents, uh, I guess one is a transgender female, and uh, it, it just goes on and on. Look, that's fine, folks. You want to put on a dress? Do, do whatever you want. This is a free country. And, you know, the thing is, it's never been against the law to do that. Now, if there was any gay bashing and people got beat up for it, that's against the law, and they should be prosecuted, and they should be held accountable. So, but this thing about celebrating and deifying people that choose to 
not go along with the crowd. Contrarian deviation. I guess if you use that word, then now I'm a terrible bigot for No, the word has a meaning. It's a meaning of the word. That's all. And uh, but it's got to be by merit, not by your skin color or your religion or your sexual preference. I mean, this is so adolescent. It's, be, it's before adolescent. And we're talking about the president of the United States, the administration of the United States of America. What kind of example is that for the kids? Then again, they're getting it right in school, the critical race theory, uh, to be racists. They're being taught to be racists. The American dollar. How long are we still going to have the American dollar, J.D.? How long will we even <laughs> have it? And people don't know what to do. They say, well, should we take our money out of the bank? What good would that do? Would the money we have in our hand, would that do any good anyway? And folks, just so you know, it looks like we're headed to what's called digital banking. Okay, that's bad enough. But if they attach social credit score to the digital banking, that is the end of your freedom, your privacy, and everything. Because what they will basically, as an example, they'll say, oh, you are not pro, you are not pro pronouns, okay? You're not for the pronouns. <laughs> you don't recognize the pronouns of the gender. They can say, well, that's gonna cost you 20 credits and uh, you're not gonna be entitled to spend 20 credits on this or that, or you may not be able to take it out at all. Uh, this is, not, I'm not inventing this. China invented it. And there was a CEO on TV yesterday. He was talking about forcing behavior. You can't just, in other words, here's a CEO of a company, and he's saying that you have to force people's behavioral change. And then I started to think, and I feel sorry for my fellow Americans, because it's easy for me to say all these years, stand up, speak up, speak out. I don't work for a company. I don't wear a jacket and I'm not IBM. They all with the, with the blue shirts and everything. Uh, I don't have that peer pressure. I, I don't have to deal with bosses because I was in music my whole life. Sure, I had a, a band leader boss, a buddy rich or this or that, but I didn't have corporate. I didn't have corporate management. I was a free agent. We all were. So I, I really need to be more sympathetic and empathetic to those of you out there that have your hands tied. Because you're afraid if you speak out, you're going to hurt your family. And this is because we've descended into mob rule and into the cancel culture. And this is really disgusting stuff. It couldn't be more un-American. It couldn't be more un-American than that. I hope to God there's still a chance. Uh, I'm going to ask uh, uh, Chad more that. I want to know what he thinks. I want to know what uh, Tucker Carlson thinks about that. Um, and also if they think that, yes, all this stuff is happening because of the new world order. Uh, the American dollar, our credibility. <laughs> you go for one is worse than the next. You have to laugh at each one, the American dollar, down the tree. Credibility worldwide? Credibility? Yeah, they can rely on us. They can rely on us to do the wrong thing at every step. That's what we've been doing. Credibility. That's a big one, don't you think, Jiggy? Yep. I mean, when before did the rest of the world say, well, don't bother sending anybody here to watch our elections because, because yours are rigged. <laughs> well, they are. And they are. They're slanted. And it's just overall with the whole 
a bunch of reasons. So American leadership, we cannot continue to have people the quality with the likes of Kamala Harris as a vice president. Biden, forget the age thing, folks. Forget the age. The age is meaningless. He was a jerk 50 years ago. It's all on tape. You can see it. And there's a wonderful video I love that he's extolling his prowess of intellect to this room full of people and telling him how he was the head of the class and he did this and he did that. And he literally was like listing all these things. Every single thing was a complete lie. Now, doesn't somebody freak you out that's capable of doing that? And that is our president. I knew one, I had a friend like that. Obviously, I won't mention his name. And he always made up stuff. Oh, he's been with a dozen girls and everything. Yeah, yeah, right. We're in sixth grade, you know. <laughs> and, uh, That's awesome. Jiggy, it's We're the in same sixth thing. Grade. Come on. I mean, just stuff would come out of his mouth. Come on. You know, this braggadocious stuff, none of which is true. And uh, Biden is a sick cat. I mean, he's a serial liar. He really is. And he doesn't seem to have any shame about it. But uh, that's the way that is. Uh, so our credibility, our reliability to our allies... I, I don't think we're very reliable to our allies anymore. Just ask anybody in Afghanistan. And once again, the guys with the white hats, that we we were the ones that kept the world, or we tried to keep the world as civilized as it could be. And then look what we have created. Look at the savagery that we have unleashed on these Afghan people. Because for 20 years, they were not under the Taliban rule. So if you're a 20-year-old girl, or, or a 24-year-old girl, the first four years, you remember, if you're a young woman, you've been free. And now all of a sudden, the Taliban's back in charge. And the suffering, the anguish uh, that they're going through, and they don't talk about it at all. In this country. They don't talk about it at all in the media because they know nobody could take it. They would not be able to take it. And we should have to see it. We should have to see every damn atrocity they're doing to all these people. You know why? Because we are responsible for it. We are responsible for that. Look, I always defended this country all the time and in Nepal, you know, things that were mistakes. We didn't make kind of Delta. You know, this country makes mistakes. But Not this one. Uh, where are we at here? Moral compass of the world, reliability. Yeah, yeah, this Afghanistan, I, I can't get off of that. Uh, it was just everything. Look, folks, the people that came home on those planes and the ones that fell off the planes, uh, they were just the people who could get to the airport. These were not the hand-picked civilians that earned the right to come to our country because they were interpreters or they were our allies, they were boots on the ground, that they helped us in this way or that way or whatever. It wasn't them. We left them behind to get tortured and slaughtered. The dogs yep. were in the crates. The dogs were in the crates. They weren't going to be in the cabin. And the arseholes instructed them to leave them there. Now, I don't know if you're a dog lover or not, but that aside, and when you think of the way they treat dogs over there, that aside, these dogs, how many hundreds of thousands of dollars is it to train these dogs? And they're great 
soldiers yep. and they're loyal. And we left them to rot in these crates. Apparently, we've got a call. Well, we're going to do this. Please hold, my friend. Okay, we are going to do this. Uh, Roger, before we let you go for this week, how do we get in touch with you online, social media, everything? Oh, See the parodies, God. all all the stuff. Go to, go to rumble.com and put in Roger Homefield, Jiggy Jaguar. They've been nice enough to put a bunch of shows up there. <laughs> or or go to YouTube and put Roger Homefield music videos or music. Um, he was right all along at gmail.com. Fantastic. Fantastic. He was right all along at gmail.com would be an email address. Well, Roger, I will talk to you next week. Thank you, sir. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, brother. There he goes. Right. That is Roger Homefield, the fantastic Roger Homefield, joins us this week here on our big, big broadcast. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.